pattern change, but to what exactly? This is Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how you doing? I am doing all right. You know, we're recording on a kind of dreary day, and I'm waiting for those brighter days, but they are coming. Well, that's good. I'm holding out for that as well. I'm holding out for brighter days, and I'm holding out for the first 80-degree temperature reading of the season, which I hope is coming soon. Yeah, it's uh, probably for most of us, uh, at least south of a line that runs basically through St. Cloud, it's probably about a week away. Could get to it a little bit sooner, but yeah, I mean, some warm times are ahead indeed. Well, that is good news. The one thing, though, we do need is precipitation, and we here in the Twin Cities got a little spritzing of precip uh, recently, Uh, more precipitation to the north of us where it's even more desperately needed. But Kenny, what does it look like going forward here as we look at this new pattern? Do we have hopes not only for warmer weather, but also maybe for some much-needed rain? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of dicey, actually. The uh, precipitation... I'd say the whole state of Minnesota is in some kind of a precipitation deficit. And the the degree of that deficit kind of depends on where you are. It is a little bit wetter in far southern Minnesota, but we all have some kind of a deficit. So northwest Minnesota is um, pretty dry right now. They're getting some precipitation, as you mentioned. As we look into this next pattern, I don't want to use a cliche and say it's kind of a coin toss. But we know that we're going to move to warmer conditions. Warmer air is going to start moving in as early as Friday, and it's really going to set up on you know uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and possibly extending through much of next week and, and, and even beyond. That's sort of the uncertainty is, is this warm pattern going to be a warm and moist pattern with lots of precipitation, or is it going to be a, uh, a warm and dry pattern? in which case we just end up needing more precipitation. Right now, there's there's uncertainty because the shapes of these air masses are kind of traced out by where the, the parent low-pressure systems and the high-pressure centers set up. And it's far enough away that the models that we use for forecasting don't have absolute clarity on these questions. So kind of a stay tuned. I'm not sure if we'll have a, a recording done before the answer is already in, but it looks like, again, I'd say if we if we get lucky, then we get some precipitation and come out of the drought. If we don't get lucky, then uh, we sort of double down. And I shouldn't say come out of the drought, but come out of the dry pattern where we don't have any drought in Minnesota yet. We're kind of in the pre-drought conditions where it's uh, abnormally dry over increasingly large parts of the state. Now, we are coming into our most precipitous month. Is that the correct term? Or the month of most precipitation is June, isn't it? So we still are a ways off, correct? You know, really, once you get into June, July, and August, any one of them can rain buckets. And you can even throw in May and September, basically any growing season month. But yeah, in that, basically the three months of summer, June, July, August, is when we really hit our stride, tend to see the most precipitation during that time. Kind of depends on what part of the state you're in, where typical monthly precipitation is anywhere from three and a half inches to as much as five inches. The smaller amounts in northwest Minnesota, the larger amounts in southeast Minnesota, but that could be any 
any summer month. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. Usually, uh, things start kind of picking up after we get green. And as you see, Jim, at least in southern Minnesota, the green up is well underway. I would not say it's complete, but the leaves have burst out on the branches and um, it's looking a lot different than it did, you know, two weeks ago. Kenny, you mentioned that we are not yet in a drought, but should we be concerned? Is this pattern likely to sustain itself for the pattern of below normal precipitation? Well, I mean, it's very fickle. It always aligns with where you get the sort of handoff between the warm air and the colder air. If you're along or near that transition and the jet stream the, the main kind of steering winds in the middle of the atmosphere, if that is in your relative vicinity with some frequency, then, then you tend to be stormy and wet. But if that pattern shifts north by a few hundred miles, you get, you get really dry. One of my colleagues says that, you know, you're always only six weeks away from drought, meaning that you could be in a very wet pattern and it doesn't take much all you need is, you know, sustained dry conditions when it's when it's warm for a few weeks, and that could throw you into drought. Um, and then as that, you know, matures, it, it can get more severe. So in that way, we should sort of always be prepared or be on the lookout for drought. But if that feels like a cop-out, I would say that this pattern right now is one that we haven't been in for a few years anyway. And certainly the most recent several years, we haven't had dry periods during May and April and May very frequently. So yeah, we're a little bit concerned. You know, we we have time to monitor these things and it does take a little time for a dry pattern to turn into a, to a drought. And so we do hope that we will get uh, some rainfall to prevent us from having a drought. But yeah, I, I'd say that you know, nobody should change their behaviors at this point in terms of using water or in terms of, you know, farmers should just keep doing what they're doing. But it's certainly something to think about. If we don't get precipitation, that helps us catch up over the next 10 days or so. So, and especially if we if we finish May in another large precipitation deficit, then yeah, we're, we're going to probably start talking about drought more and more. We're talking about a pretty substantial warm-up for next week. And of course, we always associate hotter temperatures with the potential for severe weather, but it sounds like one critical ingredient may be lacking, and that could be a lot of moisture in the atmosphere. What is the likelihood of any severe weather popping, say, in the next uh, six to ten days from what you've seen from the models? At this point, it looks like there would be some severe weather in the region next week although it would be more likely to be in the Dakotas and maybe northwestern Minnesota. This, again, is all going to depend on where that low-pressure system goes. Um, The whole sort of bulk of all of this warm air is going to be pulled up on the front end, the southerly flow that's associated with a a large low-pressure system that's not going to move particularly quickly. It's going to come out of Colorado, and it's not clear exactly where it's going to go. Some of the models have it moving almost straight north into uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And in that scenario, we stay pretty dry. Now, if instead the jet stream is a little farther south and that low pressure system moves across Minnesota, then we would be closer to the action and we would see even more chances for heavy rain and severe weather 
uh, in Minnesota. I, again, I would say this is the kind of thing where we should probably all stay tuned. It has looked like the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and really at least that period next week, and if not more of the week, could be quite active somewhere in the region. But we're still several days away from that, so so we need to stay tuned. There's certainly the potential, depending on where the storm track is, for severe weather in the region on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So we have a low-pressure area coming in, a trough. We have the prospect for some increase in moisture. But there's a factor we call forcing, and that has seemed to be somewhat absent recently. What yeah. is forcing, Kenny, and why is it important to the development of precipitation and severe weather? Well, I mean, forcing, that's a great observation, Jim. You must read the uh, technical discussions that the various <laughs> National Weather Service offices put out. Forcing is, in, in many ways, it's kind of a catch-all term because it depends on what you're forcing. But what it usually refers to is you, you might have a bunch of ingredients in place that could produce thunderstorms or precipitation. So you've got warm air at the surface, and maybe you've got cold air aloft, and maybe you've got moisture in place. So you've got a lot of the ingredients, but often you don't have a good lifting mechanism, something to kind of get the air moving vertically that would then release some of that moisture as precipitation. When you're really close to a warm front for a long period of time, or you're really close to a low pressure system, then you're pretty near mechanisms that readily move the air vertically and can produce precipitation. And that's why, you know, low pressure systems tend to be associated with inclement weather or hazardous weather sometimes, because that's where that's where the action is. And same with warm fronts and to a lesser extent, cold fronts. So if the pattern that we go into keeps the low pressure, you know, several hundred miles to our west or northwest, and instead of being somewhere near Alexandria or in Minnesota, in any case, it's, it's you know, a full state and a half away, or it's up in the Canadian provinces, then the associated fronts that would accompany that low would also be pretty far away from us. And in those cases, we would be far away from the forcing mechanisms that would be required to turn the otherwise warm and moist air that we would have in place into, you know, precipitating thunderstorms and things like that. So that's, you know, there are other types of forcing without getting too technical. There's, you know, types that happen aloft and there are types that happen um, on either sides of pressure changes but really, the main thing is we're just kind of far away, at least in the most recent set of models. We look like we might be a little too far away from those primary forcing mechanisms to get sustained heavy precipitation. Now, again, it's kind of close. A few days ago, a lot of the same models and one of the models that sees really far out or tries to see really far out were very bullish. In other words, they were very confident in that there would be a lot of severe weather in southern Minnesota and Iowa and Nebraska and South Dakota. Now, uh, over the last couple few days, that seems to have changed and shifted and just less overall in the region. But I, I wouldn't count it out yet because we don't know exactly where that low pressure system is going to go. We don't know exactly where, uh, where the warm fronts are going to be. We don't know exactly what the orientation of high versus low pressure will be and where the jet stream is. So you know, I think 
anytime that it's May and you have warm air moving into an air mass that had been cool, and that's the case here, you, you probably got to think about the potential for severe weather uh, somewhere in the region. So again, I kind of keep an eye on it, even though right now the models aren't all that excited about the potential. There's a climate study that came out recently that's generating a lot of discussion right now, and it talks about something called the survivability threshold. Basically, the uh, the gist of this study indicates that we are already approaching temperatures and dew points that could make certain parts of the world basically uninhabitable. And when we talk about climate change, we often talk about something that's in the future. This study indicated the future we've been talking about could be now in some areas. What's that all about, Kenny? And, and part of it has to do with the concept called the wet bulb temperature. And we should probably explain what that is and why that's important. Sure. So the wet bulb temperature, boy, the, the best way to do this, Jim, I don't know if when you studied meteorology, if you got to use a sling psychrometer. Did you ever get to use a sling psychrometer when you took an introductory meteorology class? Not only did I use one, Kenny, I have one. I have one. You and have yes, one. Yes, yes. I, I have okay, to dig it out. We, it's in a closet. I haven't used it for a long yeah. time, but I used to go out and swing it over my head. <laughs> you know, oh, and, I'm sure yeah. the listeners would love, I'm sure the listeners would love about a five second YouTube video of Jim Dubois <laughs> you know what? flinging the psychrometer. Assuming that I can find it, I know where it is. It may be buried under some stuff. I tell you what, I, I promise our listeners that if I uncover the sling psychrometer, I'll have my wife shoot a video and uh, we will share that on wayoverourheads.com. But also consider Perfect. it not only you know amusing and entertaining, but uh, educational as well, because there's a real reason yes, why you whirl that thing around in the air. Yeah, exactly. So the way this works, and, and the reason I thought a video would help actually is because it might sound a little abstract, but there's a lot of different sort of temperature and moisture quantities going on in the air. When we measure temperature, we're really just measuring the molecular kinetic energy of the air, how, you know, how, much, how much thermal energy is in the air, and that's what the temperature is telling us. And we're all sort of accustomed to certain numbers relating to temperature. We all know, you know, room temperatures, 68 degrees or thereabouts. We know what feels cold. We know what feels warm. But for things like moisture, you, you introduce different quantities. And one of the things, and this should be intuitive to people, you know, when the air is really dry, even if it's hot, you can then evaporate a lot of water into the air because, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of capacity for water. There's not a lot of water existing in the air on a dry day, so you can add a lot of water through, say, evaporation. So what people may not have noticed is that if it's sort of a hot and dry day, when you sweat, and the uh, if if you start sweating and the wind blows on you, or say you're say you're running or you're biking, so you're creating kind of wind resistance onto your body, you will cool down much more on a hot and dry day because you can evaporate that moisture off of your skin more readily, and it will cool you down more readily than if, for example, it's a really humid day. 
So take 90, let's just say it's 95 degrees Fahrenheit, just for lack of a better, better number. Hot day on a day where, say, uh, you're relatively dry, you might be able to cool yourself down through, through perspiration. You might be able to cool yourself down into the, into the 70s. You might actually be able to, as long as you have enough water in your body to keep sweating, you might actually be able to get a decent amount of cooling. If you contrast that with a really humid day, where there's a lot of moisture in the air. So any moisture that you create through perspiration isn't going to have as much of an outlet in the air to evaporate into. So you will lose that moisture off of your body more slowly. The evaporation rate will be slower. You will get less cooling out of it. You might only be able to cool yourself into the 80s on a really warm, humid day. And this is why those days when it's warm and humid are so much more dangerous than the warm and dry days because your ability to cool yourself down naturally is greatly reduced. So the gist of the wet bulb temperature is it tells us how much we can cool the air down to, or by extension, any sort of surface with moisture on it, just by evaporating water. And so again, it's how, how cool can we make the air or some saturated object through the process of evaporation and it's fixed by how much moisture is in the air so that's the wet bulb temperature and uh the study that you're referring to talks about this survivability uh threshold of uh what was it 35 degrees celsius is that yes correct? that's correct yeah and that and that goes to uh that translates quite conveniently to 95 degrees fahrenheit we don't have those conditions here in the Twin Cities or in Minnesota ever, where the wet bulb temperature is 95 degrees Fahrenheit. In other words, even on our most oppressive days, when we uh, we could cool down to below 95 degrees, and that's happened, you know, pretty much every time it's ever been super hot here. We just we haven't been at those thresholds. But we already know that even below those thresholds, it's very dangerous sometimes. Uh, we had that instance in July last year where dew point temperatures were up around 80 degrees. The air temperature was 95. So it was very hot and very humid. But our, our wet bulb temperatures were still in the 80s. So we could still cool down. Uh, physiologists and uh, health professionals know that at around 95 degrees, if you can't cool down below 95 degrees Fahrenheit, that's pretty close to body temperature. And you can't really properly ventilate yourself through, you know, perspiration. And so you're not going to cool down enough and your body's going to go into sort of a heat surplus and it can be lethal. And uh, of course, as the climate changes, we expect sort of dangerous heat conditions to become more common first at the equator and then, you know, in the tropical and subtropical regions. But as you mentioned, Jim, this has always been sort of a future notion. But we do know that there are certain areas, you know, the, the Gulf Coast of the U.S., parts of Louisiana, um, areas around the Persian Gulf, there are certain areas where this already happens. So in these areas, the future of really dangerous heat has already arrived at least at least occasionally. It's not like it's always it's always deadly hot, but the instances 
uh, where we've had, you know, basically unsurvivable heat because of a combination of heat and humidity, temperature and humidity, have been increasing, and especially in, in subtropical areas. So it has not come to Minnesota. It's unclear, really, if those conditions will. Uh, that doesn't mean that we won't get a lot more humid in the future. It just means that, that that's a pretty brutal threshold, and it would take a long time for that to occur here. But in populated parts of the world, those kinds of conditions have been increasing. You know, if you're within 20 to 30 degrees of the equator uh, and you're kind of near an interface between land and water, it's it's quite likely that those kind of conditions have become more common. So, yeah, it's a kind of a frightening new finding. It certainly is. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead and the broader topic of climate change here on Way Over Our Heads. So, Kenny, uh, once again, what can we expect, say, in the next six to 10 days? Okay, well, we are getting warmer. That much we know. I'm confident saying that the sort of widespread, I mean, do you, you know that the for much of Minnesota, the period between the 8th and the 12th of May, so five days, was in many areas one of the, the five coolest on record. So, you know, we had lows in, in parts of northern Minnesota in the 20s. In southern Minnesota, it was, you know, just below the freezing mark. Twin Cities was just above the freezing mark, thanks to our urban heat island. We're still, I think, as we're recording and through probably Thursday, it'll start to get a little warmer, but we're still going to kind of be in the grips of this cooler pattern through, you know, we'll at least feel pieces of it through the weekend. And then we flip and then it starts getting warmer and that much we can guarantee. So I would say that the next six to 10 days, look for warming conditions, look for you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s giving way to the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. That much I think we're, we're pretty clear on. What's iffy is looks like we'll get a decent shot of precipitation across much of the state uh, this weekend, especially maybe the southern half or so of Minnesota, maybe a half inch, maybe a little more, maybe even an inch of precipitation in some areas. So not a fantastic weekend in that regard but we need the rain. But then what's iffy is as we get warm, do we also get moist enough and near enough to those forcing mechanisms that we see a lot of precipitation? That part, I don't know, it looks like we're getting into a stormier pattern, but there's a little bit of uncertainty. So warmth, yep, I can almost guarantee it. I think it's very likely that by this time next week, everyone would nod along and say, yes, yes, we've definitely gotten warmer. Um, what I'm not positive about is if everyone would say, yes, we've also gotten the rain that we need. That might still be in the works or we might still be waiting for that. 50-50 on that one. So warmer, hopefully wetter, but we can't guarantee it. Well, Kenny, you and I will reconnect early next week. We'll uh, give an update on the situation. And hopefully by then, I will have found the sling psychrometer and I will be flinging that around to the delight, hopefully, of our listeners on a YouTube video that yeah. we will post on yeah, wayoverourheads.com. Yes. I think I speak for all listeners where this has to happen. <laughs> all right. I will try to make it so. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. I'm Jim Dubois. This is Way Over Our Heads, a weather and climate podcast. Kenny, have a great week, and we'll check in with you early next week. Thanks. You too, Jim.